Hello, everyone. Chris here, and welcome to another episode of the Make It Podcast. This week, we have a treat. We have a conversation with cinematographer and producer Josh Moody. Josh was born on March 24th, 1988 in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's known for the feature films All Light Will End, Strategy and Pursuit, and the web series Almost Balanced Foodie. Josh also has credits from internationally recognized independent films, music videos, promotional material, and has shot corporate content for clients such as the Boy Scouts of America, Billboard, Juice Plus, and his alma mater, Vanderbilt University. His work is screened and won awards at film festivals both internationally and domestically. The list is exhaustive. They include the Nashville Film Festival, Derby Film Festival, Tupelo Film Festival, Horror Hound Independent Film Festival, and the International Horror Hotel. He's been nominated for Best Cinematography at the 48-Hour Film Festival, the 54-Hour Film Festival, and many others. And his work has been featured in international magazines and trade publications, specifically detailing his use of camera and lighting to augment story and character. This year, he co-founded the Nashville Independent Film Festival with director Chris Blake. He currently serves as its program director. And to conclude, a quick note from Josh. Quote, having parents in the music industry allowed me to learn the business of entertainment at a young age. But my first taste of filmmaking came while shooting a video book report on Romeo and Juliet. I had the realization that I could splice together takes from one VHS to another by linking up two tape decks and re-recording. I was hooked. I decided I wanted to pursue a career in film and went to Vanderbilt University to study film and history, unquote. So without further ado, I bring you cinematographer and producer, Josh Moody. You're listening to Make It podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Josh Moody, and uh, I'm a producer and DP here in Nashville. Um, I dabble a little in post, like editing and, and color grading, but um, primarily, I would say I'm a DP. And um, as far as things that that people might have seen, you know, I've I've worked on a ton of music videos for you know different artists. I, I did one for a, a country artist named Buddy Jewel, who's had a couple you know, big hits across the years. And, uh, I, I also shot a few for a group called paradise fears, which is a kind of pop rock band out of LA. Um, and, uh, and of course I, I just kind of wrapped post on a film called all light will end with uh, director, Chris Blake, that's going to be hitting the film festival circuit soon. So that's kind of what I've been doing and what I've got going on. All right. Fantastic, man. So, um, We'll just get this thing rolling. How, yeah. uh, 
What is the biggest challenge you've overcome as a filmmaker and, and how did you overcome it? Well, um, honestly, I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with and that's, that's, uh, getting started in the industry. When I, when I first was getting started, you know, um, it's a difficult industry to kind of break into. Um, it's, uh, it's a club in, in a lot of ways. And, and oftentimes I feel like you have to have some sort of in, um, and, and that can just be either knowing someone or kind of just hustling and kind of creating work for yourself. Um, Mm. and, and that's what I did early on. I, I, you know, invested in a camera and, went and did some music videos. My, my dad is in the music industry. So I kind of had an in that route sort of, you know, and, um, and so I've always grown up like in and around the entertainment industry, but, but the film industry itself can be difficult to break into. So, you know, and, and early on, it's kind of a hard concept, I guess, to wrap your head around, um, like freelancing kind of goes so against the grain of the way I think almost every other industry is, you know, like, so, so, you know, you, you have to hustle, you have to work long hours, strange hours. It's never a nine to five, you know, right. early on, you're always making less money than you'd like. And, um, you never know where the next job's coming. And so, you know, I think that concept is really the first hurdle you have to overcome is like the kind of lifestyle. And then once you get established, there's like a second hurdle that you have to figure out, which is once you're working consistently is how do you manage your, your work life balance? Like how do you manage your time? Because ultimately most people that get into film and not all, but most love it, you know, and they, Mm -hmm. and they have a deep love for the art and of filmmaking. And so, and they love the people, like they love working with film, other filmmakers. And so, you know, when you're hanging out with filmmakers and industry friends, you know, nights and weekends and you're, and, and you're doing it full time and it's kind of hard. It can be hard to shut it off because a lot of us, I think would do it as a hobby if we weren't fortunate enough, fortunate enough to uh, do it full time, you know? Right. No, I agree because I think that that love that you talk about of doing it, that becomes the frustration. It's that you've, you finally found something in your life where you get along with the people. These are your people. Uh, you get to tell stories and you can potentially be paid for it. And when you're not successful doing that, it can get really frustrating because nothing else can match that feeling. It's almost like, you know, living in a mansion and then, then having to go back and live, you know, in an apartment somewhere. Uh, uh and you're like, well, wait a second. What happened to my, my land? What happened to my horses? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it, it's becomes intoxicating and uh, some people it drives them forward and some people uh, don't ever get there. And that's, I think that's the part that um, Nick and I really want to help people overcome. So, mm-hmm. so looking at, at, at that, that process for you and how you overcame these challenges, you know, what, what would you say is the biggest challenge you're facing right now as a filmmaker? Um, you know, honestly, it's kind of like, um, I mean, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, there are, there are so many, so many hurdles for every given project. Um, you know, I mean, just from an aspect of like, you know, 
and I, this is speaking from a freelancer, not even as a producer who's also putting projects together, but like from a DP standpoint, it can be hard because there are a lot of projects that are in the works for a long time. And, you know, um, as I said, I, I've kind of been lucky in the last few years and this year moving forward to, to, to stay very busy. And so it's kind of like having that great like work home life balance is just can be difficult. And, you know, just, just managing time is like, honestly, the biggest challenge. Uh, so often people want to do projects and they want to happen at the same time. And so you're always kind of like, at least once you kind of get established, it always feels like you're always in this constant struggle to, you know, to book projects and not have them overlap and, you know, make sure you you have enough time devoted to each one. And, you know, that's kind of like, at least I'd say that's kind of day-to-day struggles right now. Yeah, very good. And, and, and totally get it. Um, so, so piggybacking on those daily struggles and how you sort of get over them, you know, what are the two best pieces of advice you've received so far in your career and, and who did they come from? Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, the best pieces of advice that I've, I've received about specifically like DPing is, um, and this one was really early. This was actually on one of the first projects I worked on. A DP told me to be brutal, uh, Mm -hmm. to be brutal with your work. And, and what he actually meant there was he meant it in an editing context that, I mean, he used to say that a project is not complete until you've cut your favorite shot um, <laughs> from an editing standpoint. Mm-hmm. But, but I think he also meant, because we talked about other, other aspects of it, but on, the, on like a bigger scale, I think he meant that you, you have to be honest with yourself about your work and you have to be honest about what the audience sees. So, you know it can apply to directing and DPing, producing and editing. But, but if you're not willing to kind of let go of your vision long enough to see what the audience will view, then ultimately your vision has a strong likelihood of not coming across the way you think it does. And so you, you often, I feel like, I feel like it's, uh, that there is the, um, uh, I feel like, a lot of people can miss the big picture. You know, they can, they can miss the forest for the trees. And so, um, I kind of, I kind of take the concept of being brutal with your work, uh, day by day and just kind of, you know, think about the movie that you're trying to make in your head, but then also see what the audience sees and, and, you know, try to make sure that, that your interpretation comes across the way you want it to, not just, not just necessarily the exact specific way that you want it to, but that the overall vision comes across. So um, it's just kind of like a, a, a mantra of keeping the big picture, you know, uh, with, with your art. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then in terms of uh, one more piece of advice, do you have another one or yeah. no? Yeah, I do. Um, and the second one, and I actually have no clue where this comes from. <laughs> and then someone in, so, so I, I to whoever out there gave me this piece of advice or wherever I read it, I'm sorry. This is not, these are not my own words. I guess I'll say that. <laughs> no, right. no plagiarism intended. Um, but, uh, it, it's, it's always study light. Like as a DP, um, if you, if you want to be a DP, always look at the light, the way it is in a room, how it hits things, its color, its quality, its shape, how lighter or how hard or soft it is. Um, 
I mean, ultimately, and this is the phrase, is that, that you know, all of that is the palette that a DP paints with. So, you know, just just kind of, you can find kind of magic, if you will, in, in everyday life. You know, as you walk into a room, see where the light's coming from, how it's hitting objects. And, and then, you know, when you get into a situation where you're shooting something, try to replicate it. Um, with the, with, you know, artificial tools, because that's ultimately, you know, the main goal of cinematography is to both replicate natural light while also creating an emotional, uh, feeling in the audience. So it's, it's kind of a give and take actually, you know, so much of, so much of it is about artificial light and artificially creating a mood and a feeling, but ultimately it all has to be grounded in reality. So you can find inspiration, you know, pretty much in every room you walk into. Yeah. I love that. And and so with that, do you have any advice for someone that would be like, like what would be your advice to like one piece of advice for, let's say someone who's brand new as a director or, or DP? Um, you know, something that helped me early on, I mean, I, and, and we, we can talk about this a little later too. Um, but you know, consuming content in this industry is really important. So, um, but, but it's not just like about consuming content because you can consume without a purpose. And so early on specifically, and even now, um, I try to keep notes on everything I watch um, and uh, everything I watch, anything that I really like. I do some research. I try to find, you know, what cameras they were shooting on, what lenses they were shooting on, you know, what light sources they use, try to find behind the scenes videos and stills. And um, I, I honestly just starting a, a journal is mm. probably the m- most useful thing I ever did. Wow. And, you know, I've filled probably several journals up now at this point in time with notes. Um, and, and it's great. I mean, everything from framing and how scenes are put together to like, again, if I find stuff online and can figure out how they lit stuff and what sources they lit with and whatnot, I, I, I I try to keep pretty extensive notes on everything I watch. And, you know, it's just kind of that extra step that, that you have to take oftentimes to, to really, you know, m- move forward, you know? Um, yes, cause absolutely. ultimately, cause ultimately everything in this industry is, is plagiarism. I, again, kind of looping back to the advice. What is it? Uh, there's the phrase, um, uh, you know, good artists, uh, you know, good artists copy great artists steal, you know, or something. There's a phrase mm-hmm. that goes something like that. And, essentially, you know, I mean, everything you do as a DP, I mean, it's not like you're going to really reinvent the wheel. I mean, you can, and there are ways to reinvent it, um, and to break new ground and, you know, find new avenues to pursue, but ultimately all of it's going to be grounded in something you've already seen or something that already exists. You know, I love this idea of creating, creating, uh, creating a journal, excuse me. Mm -hmm. I think you're the first person, uh, that we've interviewed and we've interviewed a lot of people that has, uh, suggested that. So thank you for that. Yeah. And, and actually on that, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll make one other suggestion. Um, and I, this is going to sound like I'm being sponsored by, and I'm definitely not, but, <laughs> but, but the new, but, but 
honestly, I, I, I got one a couple weeks ago and the new, the new iPad pro is with, with the Apple pencil is perhaps like the best tool I've ever used. And I wish I, I wish I'd had it 10 years ago because, um, your notes are searchable. If, when you make notes on the new iPad pro, you can actually search notes. So like, as I watch things and as I consume and as I make notes, I'm actually building now a, a digital note catalog that, you know, of every movie I've watched and I can search for that movie or I can search keywords like lenses or a brand of lenses like Zeiss or Cook and I can find examples so that when I'm talking to directors or producers, I, I have or, you know, I have a really good ability to tell them to go watch certain things to like emulate that kind of look. Or if they're talking to me about a specific movie that I've seen, I can very quickly look it up and say, whoa, well, then this was shot on these lenses and, you know, with this kind of lighting package and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I have an iPad pro and, uh, and I know that they're coming out with a Apple pencil too. And that's mm -hmm. what has kept me from purchasing the current pencil, but I have heard, you know, nothing but great things about the pencil and I wrote with it in an Apple store and was just kind of blown away having been sort of I'm, so I am a you don't you don't know this about me, Josh. But I'm about to tell you, I am a a chronic first ad adopter, and yes. so yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, if something comes out, I want to be the person to test it. And I have no, I actually derive joy from it. Like I have, like a lot of people have anxiety around it. I have zero yep. anxiety about something failing. Like if something, if I'm trying something, it doesn't work out. I don't care. Other people yep. like it ruins their year that they spent money. They feel like they were fooled. I was like, no, I just wanted to be. I just want to be current. You know, I, I, I guess I have a bigger fear of becoming a dinosaur than of losing a couple of bucks that I can make back. And, yep. and yeah. so, uh, yeah, I was, I was early on pencils and I used to use a pencil by a company named Adonit. And I'm not even sure Adonit is in the, the sort of digital pen pencil space anymore, but they were the innovators at the time. Uh, and they were making the best one out. And I remember it was amazing. And I went into the Apple store to use their pencil just as a frame of reference against my Adonit one. And it was better. And I was like, holy yep. cow. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know anyone could improve upon this and, and it's been improved upon. So I, I second yeah. your emotion uh, about the iPad pro and the pencil. It, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. I mean, honestly, that's, that's another thing is just, is just staying on top of technology and figuring out a way to use every bit of technology that you have at your disposal. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting speaking of the early adopters and I'll just, I'll just kind of riff on that for a second. I actually, speaking of the whole kind of how I got started and hurdles I overcame, you know, I started in music videos and I, I, I owned an HVX 200, a Panasonic HVX 200, which is one of the early HD cameras. It only shot, 1080 at, at 60 frames interlaced. I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> it was a, it was a terrible camera, but, but I mean, it was the best at the time and or one of the best. And, and I bought that and I, I invested in that and did a lot of work with that and saved up and wound up being an early adopter of the red, the red camera, the original, uh, yeah. the original red one. And, um, that was a huge kind of boon at the time, you know, as I said, always trying to find your in, you know, with the industry. And so it was just kind of like, I actually, I actually, I rolled the dice big on that because at the time, I mean, no one was really shooting digital cinema. And so red came out and it was just like such a, such a, seemed like such a good idea. And so I rolled the dice on that one, but 
but it worked out, you know, honestly, being an early adopter oftentimes does work out, especially in the film industry, you know, um, not every product, not every time, but, but it is good advice to kind of take risks and be on the cutting edge. No, I agree. And, and you, you, uh, you're absolutely right about the red because there were filmmakers that would put, I shoot on, on a red as like on their resume yep. and that would get them the work. Yep. So it's just, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think the red really paid off to be a first adopter and, and it was a good yeah. gamble. Um, yep. Let me ask you this. So uh, sort of piggybacking on that, that last piece we just talked about, about the advice um, there's always going to be people who just kind of don't take advice. Mm -hmm. And so, so what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making? You know, um, the biggest creative mistakes I see, uh, stem from, stem from a lack of willingness to, to budge on creative ideas. And, and that, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, people, people, uh, it's not that they shouldn't be true to themselves, but, but oftentimes I see young, like up and coming generation of filmmakers, not, not wanting to collaborate, right? This mm. is kind of a trend I'm noticing in the industry, at least with some people. And so, um, you know, and I guess, uh, I guess a lot of directors, a lot of young directors, make the mistake of thinking if they have a vision that, that it should be the only vision. And while there are a lot of, there's a lot of credibility to that. I mean, I think that ultimately you do have to have somebody in charge to like set the pace of the movie, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. or the project, but, but it can also create kind of the feeling of like a dictatorship on set. And you and you can end up with a lower quality product if the crew morale is lower, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just it, it is something that can happen, and I've seen it, I witnessed it, and um, and also collaboration at its heart, I think, is what makes filmmaking so special because it's the ability to get in a room with a, a handful or twenty or two hundred other creatives and work together to create something is is really unlike a lot of other art forms. I mean, music to some degree. Um, but, but I think film has been so pervasive because it inherently, like it inherently has multiple viewpoints and ideas being shared. So, and that doesn't diminish the role of the director in any way. I mean, personally as a DP, you know, I always tell directors that ultimately, like, I may have a lot of ideas, but it's their decision on everything because because you do have to have a hierarchy or else the entire project could be chaos. But I guess I guess sometimes it's, it's a trap that a lot of people can fall into um, is is having too central of a vision. I guess it goes back to the first piece of advice I was given, which is what it was to be brutal with your work, to be honest and look and see how other people will view it. Um and, you know, ultimately when you're sharing ideas with a bunch of other creatives, you know, you just, you, you come out of it with a better, with a better product when there are a lot of ideas in the mix. Um, you know, you can have too much ideas, you can have too many ideas and it can be, as I said, chaos, but, but that healthy kind of push, give and take is, is just part of film life. And I, I think that, I think that a lot of people 
uh, fall into the trap early on of thinking that their one vision is like the one way it has to go down. I think that the best directors, um, I think that the best directors uh, are found in, in, in an, like that they have an ability to take a lot of ideas and a lot of information and synthesize it quickly to figure out what can be applied to their general vision. And I think that's a hallmark of a great filmmaker. And then to, to an extent, I, I guess I say all that to say that as a DP, you have to, you have to understand that that's what makes a good director, you know? Mm -hmm. And then also understand that the hallmark of like a bad crew member is to not realize ultimately that it's the director's movie. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's just, I guess kind of in general, there's like a, there can be like a, there can be too much like inward thinking about a vision, you yeah, know? And I think there's a lot of like YouTube videos that are motivational uh, that, that are around and focused on art that reinforce this idea of, uh, it may be painful at first, but, but stick to your vision and, you know, everything will, and it's kind of like the point is missed where, where you intend to say one thing to, to, to the listener or the viewer and what they take away from it is different. And what they take away from it is, is I'm, I'm, I'm going to not budge on my vision because I know what I want versus, yeah. you know, the collaboration part really is, is truly truly key uh, uh, on the business side. Do you see any mistakes happening on the business side? Um, you know, I think a lot of people go into the business side without a good plan. Mm. Um, and, and honestly, it's so different for everyone, right. That, that it's kind of hard to say what works and what doesn't. Um, but I do think that you kind of have to have a strategy because if you just go into the industry without too much of a direction or plan, you'll, you'll kind of, I mean, you can kind of get eaten up or like, you know, be, you can get jaded by the industry because, you know, it's really difficult. And as I, I guess going back to, I mean, just getting in the industry sometimes can be really difficult. And, um, and so if you don't have, I mean, it's like, it's like if you started a business, you know, you'd formulate a business plan, you'd, you'd, uh, you'd, you'd, uh, do all the necessary legwork to, to start a restaurant. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go and be a freelancer, you know, I mean, you don't necessarily need to do tons and tons of market research, but I think it's important to kind of think about your career going into it and know what you want to achieve. Um, because if you don't, then, then it, it's re it's a, it's an easy industry to fail in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I agree. And, um, I was told this uh, back in the day. So I used to be in a boy band named Solace 20 years ago. And, and, uh, I guess I've enjoyed, uh, two different eras of, of local, uh, very, very local <laughs> celebrity. And, uh, I, I used to be in this boy band that was popular in Nashville. And, um, so people would, and I would songwrite, I did it. I wrote all the songs and produced all the music and, and people would ask me, well, how do I, become a songwriter and I would just tell him write songs. <laughs> so it's really, it's really that simple. If you want to be a songwriter, write songs and do that every day. And, and that's mm -hmm. how you become something you want to be. Uh, but a lot of people, and, and I remember um, 
we would work, we worked with Zamba and, and BMI and, and uh, we, we did a lot of things at Soundstage. And I remember executives always having this, um, they would put people who demoed in different categories. And, and if someone, a musician came in and demoed an entire album, so, so essentially it was their demo tape. They weren't signed, but they did like 16 songs. Uh, they would know that that artist just wanted to see their name and face on an album cover. And that was what it was about for them. Mm-hmm. Because um, the reality was, is that no executive was listening past two songs. And if you were special, they'd hear it in one song. And that sort of the smart money would n- never demo more than two songs. Mm-hmm. Um, because everything, everything else is ego. Everything beyond two songs on a demo to get signed is ego. And so that goes back to that planning and knowing what you need to do and, and how you're going to go about doing it and putting your best foot forward versus it being an ego trip of walking around saying, hey, I'm a filmmaker. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that that's, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think honestly just having a treat, treat, you know, I mean, there's a reason why it's called like the film business, you know, you have, you have the film and you have the art, um, but you also have the business. And so you've got to treat your day-to-day life, um, like a business and it's tempting to just get sucked up in the art of it. But Mm -hmm. I mean, even at a basic level as a freelancer, I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to have to figure out how to do taxes. And I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of business that goes on with, you know, in every day, like in, in everyday life. So, you know, it's all about the art and you want the art to come first, but if you'll, you'll be remiss if you don't pay attention to the business. Yeah. I mean, uh, man, I'm thinking about taxes right now. Way to, way to to bring this whole interview down, Josh, but uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. No, no, no no problem. Uh, Okay. So, so um, here's one to think about. So if you had one month to teach somebody how to shoot, let's say, uh, or direct you, you pick, um, what would be the first three things you would teach them? So you have or, uh, one month to make them competent and you had, what would those three things, those first three things be? <laughs> oh, oh man, that's a hard one. Um, uh, you know, shooting. Okay. So, so going, going through the path that I know, know best. Um, I guess the first thing would be to know that, to know that honestly, you probably, you probably can't become fully competent in a month, but, 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 uh, it's something that it's something that would take time. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the first thing is like, you know, ultimately these ultimately, especially being, being a DP is kind of more about a journey if you will, it's, it's about cumulative knowledge. So, so I guess the first thing would be like, just know that it's going to take the, it's going to take some time. Um, there's a lot of experience and technical knowledge that you have to do. And, but there's also a lot about kind of the intangible art of like what makes a movie look the way it does or what makes a project look the way it does. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I would say to that, I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years now and, and I probably, I, I honestly know a 10th of what I'll know when I'm 80, you know? Right. And so, um, I guess the, the first things you should do is study light, watch a lot of films and pay attention to things like, 
how people are lit, how, how hard or soft it is. Check out the framing, make extensive notes, read a lot of books, um, just consume a lot of content about making a, a project about shooting, but also consume a lot of content to see what other people are doing. That, that would really be, I guess, the second thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and the third thing would be to note, I guess this would kind of dovetailing into that. Um, the industry is constantly in, evolving. So that's why it'd be hard to train somebody in a month because, but from the start of the month to the end of the month, you know, the, the industry would be slightly different, you know? Um, and so the job, it's all about research really and experimentation and, and keeping up with trends and, you know, and failing and, or trying and failing and, and, and. So essentially you're saying you would, you would go ahead and put a cam. The third thing you would do is put a camera in their hand and tell them to shoot something maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, just get out there and start doing it. Um, and, and, you know, most of this stuff isn't something you can really teach. It's stuff that, that kind of has to be learned. Um, and, and honestly, um, like it has to be learned by experience, I guess I would say. Um, and you know, film school is really good. And I I actually, I did go to film school, but there's a lot more that I learned from film school really than shooting. Like I don't, I I wouldn't say I learned a ton about shooting. I, I learned a lot more about how to collaborate with people and like, you know, a lot of theory, which is, which honestly at the time I wasn't really into, but, but since I've found myself kind of pulling from a lot of kind of like psychologically evaluating movies and stuff that I now kind of do, you know, without even knowing I'm doing it, you know? And so, um, it's just, I I would say, I would say, yeah, I, the three things boil down to is first know that it's going to take a while. Uh, uh, secondly, like consume a lot of content and thirdly, just, just get out there and start shooting because there is no, um, as much as you do consume and learn there, there's nothing that quite, um, matches the experience of doing it and, and trying and trying and failing. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's a lot of trial and error, you know? Um, yeah. so, so, and, you know, just, just know that I guess people, uh, just a kind of a piece of advice on kind of thinking about somebody who's just starting right is, is know that everything you learn anything you see, anything you do can, can, is just another layer. It's another, it's another building block, um, that builds you into a creative. So, you know, it sounds kind of cheesy, but, but you do have to try and fail a lot to, to know what works because, you know, falling into what works. I mean, if you do, you're just really, really, really lucky. Right, know? right, right. I, I agree. And people are so afraid to fail right now, especially in Gen uh, millennials and Gen Z. And um, they have to learn that that failure is actually the way. Um, so, so speaking of of, of that process uh, where you get to someone uh, or get to a place where you're where you're excellent, uh, which creatives do you uh, admire? most and, and want to emulate and what would you say they do from a technical or a skill standpoint that makes their work stand apart? Um, yeah, uh, man, that's a, that's a, that's a hard question. I, 
it actually, when you ask that question, it, it makes me remember, and I don't, again, I don't know who said this, but, um, I think, I think, uh, my dad told me a story that he heard one time about the guitar player, Chet Atkins, who said he learned something from, from everyone, from every guitar player he ever heard, meaning he'd either learned how to do something that he'd never have thought of before, or he'd learn what not to do. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, but, and so that, I mean, the list of people that, that have like inspired me or, or taught me is, is really long. I mean, honestly, you learn from everyone, right? So, um, but to name a few DPs that I think are great, um, I think, I think Roger Deakins is one of the best around right now. I mean, he's been doing it forever. Uh, he's up for, uh, best cinematography with, uh, with the new Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also did like No Country for Old Men, Skyfall. I mean, the list is just like in, he 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 did a bunch of the Coen Brothers movies, if not all of them. Right. And um, so, I mean, you know, his career is insanely long. Um, I, I really love uh, El Chivo, uh, Manuel Lubezki, who's uh, who did um, uh, The Revenant, Birdman, Gravity, Tree of Life, that whole kind of spectrum. Um, most recently, I I really really like. I really like Dan Lawson's work. He did, um, uh, he did the shape of water. Um, and I don't know what else he's done, but I, I was really enthralled by the cinematography on that movie. Um, as far as like what they do, Oh man, it's so hard. Cause it's so, I don't know. I, I like, I like Deacons's work. I think Deacons is a very classical in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, very, uh, the cinematography is just just very good. It's like classical, but yet he does things differently. I, I can't really explain it, but I, you know, from reading and and researching on like what he does, I one thing that I like about him is he 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 oftentimes uses non, even though he's more of a traditionalist, I would say it, in one respect, he uses a lot of non traditional light sources, which is kind of cool. Like one of the things he does is he builds these things called bat and lights lights or chuck wagon lights. Um, which essentially is a strip of wood with sockets, like just, just bare bulb sockets drilled in. And, um, he loves using those things like dimming them way down, creating a really warm tungsten feel. Um, and so I kind of, I, I like, I always like reading about what he does because even though what the results he gets, I would say are fairly traditional. He does it in a non-traditional way, even though he's working with gigantic budgets, which is kind of cool. Um, that sometimes the best path forward might not be the most expensive. Right. Um, and um, I love uh, El Chivo's work, uh, uh, Lubezki, you know, Revenant and all those, because he takes a very non-traditional approach. Everything is, I mean, I think the Revenant was shot almost completely with uh, natural light and, you know, Birdman was one continuous shot essentially, or, you know, yeah. it felt like that. that and then- that's what they, yeah. And then, and then the Tree of Life, uh, the um, uh, the film he did a couple of years before Birdman was. Uh, I remember reading he used like one two K fixture, and then everything else was practical or natural light. So, and they never brought a light inside the house that they were shooting. It was all through windows. So, it's just kind of like um, those two guys I respect a lot because I, you know, they achieved these amazing results on big budget movies using non traditional methods. Um, and then um, Dan Lawson, who did The Shape of Water, by contrast, was it was a very non—I would say uh, 
it was a very kind of classically lit movie in a lot of ways. Um, but he played a lot of colors and a lot of like specialty gels and specialty uh, colored LEDs. And um, I think it I think it made for a really beautiful movie. It was shot on primarily on a soundstage. So again, wow. that was like very classical, you know, um, uh, almost like no, like virtually no uh, natural light. So, you know, um, and then, I mean, those are just three kind of recent guys. If you throw it back further, I think Vittorio Storero, I mean, he's obviously a really popular one to talk about, but I mean, he might be one of the best DPs that's ever lived. Um, he did a lot of the early Italian films. Uh, I think he, he did the Godfather and, um, a couple, uh, maybe I think apocalypse now I'm, I'm, I may be wrong on that, but, uh, I, I did, I, I studied a lot of his Italian films and like, there's a film he did called Il Conformista, which is, uh, the conformist. And I, it's probably some of my favorite color cinematography ever. So, um, anyway, uh, those are, those are just some people that I admire. That's fantastic, man. So much good stuff in there. Um, wow. Where does the time go? We, we are on to our last question. So, uh, Josh, tell me this, in your opinion, what are the top three online resources for helping, uh, cinematographers and, uh, uh, and or DPs or, or really any concentration you're working on. Where, where do you go when you go online for resources and for help? Um, yeah, honestly, um, gosh, today, like it's such a good time to be in this industry. Um, because there, I mean, it's just like, I mean, I feel like every day there's a new resource. Um, the ones that I find myself or I found myself using, are um, obviously the whole kind of streaming, uh, the plethora of streaming platforms, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. Uh, there's Filmstruck, which is all classic movies. Uh, I think it was started by Turner Classic and uh, their Criterion Collection. So you've got that. I mean, MoviePass, it's not exactly an online tool, but it's you know a subscription service. Like going back to that whole just consuming as much content as you can. Um uh, I think those are great. I think there's, um, for a DP, uh, you can, it's, it's in magazine form, American cinematographer, but they also have a, a digital version. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it's like, I think it's more usually, but, uh, for the past couple months, they've been running a, a $10 for the year digital subscription. So like, and that is where, I mean, they do equipment reviews, theory discussions on like everything on the history of aspect ratios to the history of the different types of lenses. And, you know, they do interviews with DPs about all the big movies that are in theaters or, you know, um, and, and like whatever's current, they, they just stay with what's current. So that's just an invaluable tool. Um, uh, and, um, lastly, there's there, a lot of the big DPs run forums. Um, uh, specifically like David Mullen. Um, David Mullen is a, is a, uh, he's an ASC guy. He's, I mean, I'm, I can't even think of everything he shot. I know most recently last year, he shot a movie called love, Witch that completely managed to recreate the look of three strip technicolor practically, which is really kind of a feat. And, um, uh, but he has this forum on RedUser.net which is the red camera forum that's called ask David Mullen anything. And he's pretty active on it and he takes time to answer most questions. So, you know, 
I mean, people have ranged from asking him what type of shirts he wears on set to, <laughs> to, to how you'd light specific scenes. And he's, he's always extremely helpful. Um, the, the ASC, the American Society of Cinematographers, I know places a lot of value on teaching. And so I think that's part of what he does because he, he sees it as an, as an extension of like kind of training the next generation. And so, um, that's just, I mean, that's a free forum. You can just hop online and I mean, it's like a couple hundred pages long at this point in time. Like if question, you know, if a question's been asked, you can probably find it. Um, you know, or, you know, if there's a question you want to ask, you can probably find it. And if not, you can ask him and he'll respond. Um, and then, uh, uh, another good one. I mean, Deacons actually has his own website with a chat form. Yeah. Um, he is less, I would say he, I think he might be a little less active than David Mullen is because he's busier, but there's honestly, even if he doesn't respond to a question that you have, there are so many questions he's already answered, you know, like it's, it's just a great forum. And, um, I would say, uh, the last kind of, it's not exactly a forum, but I guess it's, it's another tool that's really useful, especially if you're starting out is, uh, Shane Hurlbut runs a, a program called the inner circle that, um, where he teaches like Shane Hurlbut, uh, I guess he's done, um, let me, I can just say what he's done. He's done, um, he did the, the newest Terminator movie. He shot the babysitter, which is the Netflix, uh, original movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot more, I can't really think of anything right now, but he runs this whole thing called the inner circle where he, he'll just do a whole series, like a four part series on how to light, like how to light light daytime exteriors oh, and it'd cool. be like it's really cool it's it's a little expensive um the 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 program is a little expensive but it's definitely worth it um uh the only downside to the program i think is that when you sign up you own like the art the only articles that are available to you at the time you sign up are the ones that he's currently released and what's coming out next and if you want past articles you have to i think you have to pay for them that's the only downside but it also you can just go and cherry pick things that you think would be useful to you through his through his uh program called the inner circle um i know being a part of it also allows you to be on uh to have, he, he has a special facebook private facebook group where you can ask him questions and he's pretty you know pretty uh quick to respond you know he's an interesting guy again he does on his bigger budget movies, I know he does stuff very, very traditional, but he's also one of the greatest like uh, DIY kind of uh, DPs I've ever seen. Like some of his suggestions on building like uh, lights to replicate firelight, and I don't know, he's just got a whole series on like DIYing and kind of hacking, hacking yeah. lighting, which is really cool. Like I mean, because let's face it, a lot of people can't operate in a super super big budget world or you know i mean to get to the big budget world you got to spend a lot of time in in the indie world and so if you can figure out a way to do something and save some money then it'll you know you can put that money towards something else you know yeah i think i think that's completely legit and i I appreciate that that's going to be great information for the creatives that hop on uh, our resource site and certainly um come to the site to sort of find out how to um, get those resources, where to go and and how to avoid the mistakes we all made in the beginning. So um, 
Josh, tell us where, tell the people <laughs> where they can find you on the internet and uh, online on social media. Great. Yeah. Um, well, I've got a, uh, I've got a website. It's www.joshmoody.net. Um, and then I have, um, you can find, uh, I guess uh, my IMDB is imdb.me uh, forward slash the Moody DP. And, uh, my Instagram is at the Moody DP. So that's kind of where everything is. You know, my website hosts a reel and, uh, a bunch of clips and stuff and, you know, um, and, uh, my gear list and whatnot. And, and I'm not very good at keeping up with Instagram, but I, uh, I do post as, as often as I remember to. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. So, <laughs> So, yeah, absolutely. Th thank you very much, man. This has been a blast. Uh, so much good information, so much good info share. So I can't thank you enough for joining. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, thanks so much for having me. Um, uh, you know, I guess I could just end it with one one little uh, thing that I, uh, you know, if anyone wants to get in contact with, with me, you know, feel free to. I mean, ultimately, I kind of take the approach just like, David Mullen, even though I'm years away from, from, from his caliber, I, I think, um, you know, I think all of us honestly got started in this industry because somebody taught us or somebody helped us. And so, you know, I, I just, you know, if I can help any younger filmmakers or anybody getting started, I want to try and pass that on as much as possible. Um, and I think, I think everybody in the filmmaking community, you know, should because it's, uh, as I said, we all got here because somebody taught us. So um, yep. just uh, if anybody has anything, reach out and try my best to try my best to respond. Thank you for that, man. That, that's that's awesome. And that's kind of at the heart of what Bonsai wants to do. We want to create an environment where independent films are are better every single year so that more and more of them get purchased get distributed and we get story and narrative out there into the world um and and take sort of a bigger share of the of the uh entertainment pie yeah absolutely all right man i'll talk to you soon have a fantastic day and uh, i know we'll be uh somewhere soon together maybe having beers yeah, absolutely. 12 South Tap Room again. That'll All be right. great. Let's do it. Talk to you soon, I'll, Josh. I'll, I'll uh, see you soon. Have a good one. All right, brother. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects, social media, and transcripts of this interview, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash podcast. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you 
for listening.